Jenny Higginbotham is an artist working across writing, video, sculpture and songs. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words can totally destroy my mind. Took place at Blindside Gallery for Liquid Architecture's Sound Series exhibition in April 2022. The exhibition featured a series of experimental song poems performed unaccompanied by the artist in her home in Gisborne, regional Victoria, and presented in video form in collaboration with Joel Stern and Carmen Sebus-Kiso. In these performances, Hickenbotham inhabits multiple voices, perspectives and temporalities as she explores the epigenetic impacts of trauma and the narratives of individuals swept up by the force of history, institutions and the places in which they live. Here, Hickenbotham reflects on the exhibition and performances, the influence of childhood experiences in hearing voices and the freedom that songwriting provides. Throughout this episode, Higginbotham's songs feature musicians Steph Tricia, Miss Shekelheady, James Rushford, and Sam Pankhurst. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And when you hit me with your sticks and stones, you cover the wound with a bandage, you recover. But when they hit you with their words, the wound is deep, metaphysical, words leave scars. My name's Jenny Hickenbotham. I live in Gisborne, in just outside of uh, metropolitan Melbourne regional Victoria, uh, with dogs, chickens and ducks, emulating my grandparents. And... Uh, I've done my uh, undergraduate fine arts studies at OMIT and now this year I've started my PhD candidature and my project is called Voices to Sing, Singing Up Radical Political Defiance. (laughs) And um, my collaborators will be other people like myself living with mental health challenge and neurodiverse issues. In 2020, I was awarded the RMIT Liquid Architecture Graduate Prize for Sound Art and they liked my work because of the personal political voices, multiple voices I use and, yeah, and the various materialities, I suppose. I I think they liked an animation that I'd made about the polyvagal um, nervous system. The theory is proposed by Dr Stephen Porges, which I overdubbed with a little a cappella song. I'm interested in voices and, in particular, the voices we hear inside our head. From winning the award, I was given the exhibition in the sound series that Liquid Architecture do every year with the Blindside Gallery, but unfortunately didn't go ahead in September 21. And so it's just culminated. My work was called Sticks and Stones Will Break my bones, but words can totally destroy my mind. And when they hit you <laughs> with their sticks and stones, you get around on crutches or maybe a scooter, but you do get around. And when they hit you with their words, the wound needs therapeutic support, active listening.
The, the main main work was a, a, a 20 minute video and it was made here in Gisborne at my home. Joel bought up a videographer called Carmen Siba Kiso and a photographer Rudy Williams. And we spent the day together here and we sang songs everywhere in the lounge room and in the garden and in the old sheds and to the chooks and to the ducks and to the dogs and and um, recorded lots of songs and then took lots of photos. We had a lovely lunch at the local Thai restaurant and we just had a really nice day. And then um, we met again at Joel's studio, just me and Carmen and Joel, and we edited the videos together and we selected four of the songs to put into the video, the final video for the presentation at Blindside. They really immersed themselves in my home and my life, you know, in my place and my space and the, the things that are valuable to me. Like I had a big doll's house with little tiny little bears and dolls and dogs and everything I've collected from the op shop. And we took some video in front of that and I've got stuffed toys and, you know, these were all things that, that the therapists do recommend you um, get get to help you get back into your childhood and re-experience some of those feelings, you know. So that was really my original motivation. And then I come to love these things, you know. So the songs were the Sticks and Stones song and another song called What Do You Mean Emotions? And then Song for Sue, which is about my friend Sue, who was um, incarcerated in Luandal Mental Health Institution back in the 70s. And the final crazy song about saving the earth where... Uh, one of the lines is that your organs will shake about and tangle with your bones and that Waterworld got it all wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit, you know, tongue-in-cheek. The first time I sang with Joel, he just said, sing, off you go, sing, <laughs> sing. And uh, we recorded, recorded from the, fir the first song, so there wasn't a lot of practice or play. You know, it was us getting to know each other, I suppose. But now, you know, a year later, the last recording, we did each song twice and we, you know, we, we altered some things, we changed some things. And But probably I'm more receptive to suggestion. Like I might have been a bit pretty vulnerable at the beginning, you know, and he might have sensed that. So I just left it, you know, let what, what's good, what, what's good is good enough. But now I'm a bit more open and little bit more self-assured about what I'm doing. And so, yeah, he can make, people can make suggestions and I can laugh and, you know, go, oh, yeah, good idea, let's try something this or that or, you know. And, yeah, so I'm not so vulnerable. I'm more more assured, I suppose, and confident that practice is good and, you know, doing things, over, repeating things is a good way to, to get to the best result, I suppose, yeah. Come listen now, I've a story to tell About a young girl, she lived at Lerando She lived at Lerando, Lerando It's now called Polaris, a facelift, a rebuild For toffee-rich houses Communities of families, communities of haunted ghosts. She's walking with the ghosts now, ghosts of her girlfriends in meadows of wonder, in meadows of beauty. Mirror. 
Some of my songs can be, uh, like Song for Sue is quite a little bit, um, you know, emotive and um, it's meant to be a challenging, you know, song about advocacy and about human rights and then I try and keep a balance because I'm aware that we can't indulge in sadness constantly so I try and be a bit humorous at times as well. I started the singing in 2020 when I did my honours with Michaela Dwyer and, and Drew Pettifer and... I wanted to do a project about how important music was for me growing up. So it was mainly just listening to music. And my father had music on all day constantly and lots of variety, like folk music, Irish, Scottish, English folks, German songs, Nina and Frederick and, you know, the Furies and then Hot August Night. And, you know, that didn't stay back in, in his era. He came forward with, you know, new music. And when I was at high school, I remember him saying to me, how come you can remember all the words to all the songs but you only get, you know, just scraped through on a pass at school? Like, you know, so. But, uh, Joel tells me my writing and my, my lyrics are good and I love to write the lyric because it's like weaving some magic or something, you know. It's, it's really, I really love doing it and um, I love going back and making the words sing, you know, so even on the page before they come out of my mouth, they have their own story. I mean, every word is its own essence and, and its own narrative, really, in a sense. It's when, when you weave them together, they, they develop this, a picture, really, I guess. What you mean, emotions? I am resilient, strong and enduring. I can do anything, anything at all. Can you cry? Can you scream? I can yell, get off my patch. Yes, but can you feel emotions? Acknowledging your emotions is the toughest thing to do, especially if they're painful, difficult, challenging, like remembering the bully at school, or the cuff dad gave you, made your ear bleed. Or falling off the ladder, breaking your knee. Can you remember? Have you pushed those feelings into the void? What do you mean, emotions? I'm resilient, strong and enduring. I can do anything, anything at all. All my work is about my lived experience, like why I am the person I am today. And the culmination of my master's was an academic essay about called family disabling so about how rituals and habits and and emotions things that we can inherit or that we learn one way or another can actually turn us into something and for me it was that 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 persisted in my disabling rather than my enabling as I got older uh, my life became a bit of a chaos and then I was diagnosed with schizophrenia so from there on I really put all my effort into trying to figure out who I was, why I had this diagnosis and and, and what, I, what I could be, you know, and really it's, it's taken me 30 years, but here I am. I can sing now. <laughs> so where I've come to in my research and my art practice, which has led me to this point now, where I'm actually reading the second book by Professor Antonio Damasio called Feelings and Consciousness. So he's proposing that... 
we actually have two forms of thought. We have a thoughtless mental function like a, like a bacteria, which is our rituals, our habits, our the things that we might inherit. And then we have our reasoning, reasoning mind. So the essay I wrote about family disabling talked about attitudes, values and beliefs and things that families do thoughtlessly, you know. So sort of getting at a little bit at what Damasio's um, proposing and I talked about that in terms of epigenetics or, you know, where epigenetics is where you might inherit something like an emotional experience which tags on your gen- gen- genetics. Like if you read Magda Sabansky's book, she talks about dreaming her father's dreams of war and that's just another form of inheriting your ancestors' stories. So, yeah, so the voices that I talk about, my internal voices, my the major voice I've lived with all my life has been my mother's voice. I've written songs about her voice. Like I lived a very difficult life in the Boise Valley up to seven and then we came to Melbourne and I, I was so happy because I've escaped, you know, that. And then I was assaulted in the park by this stranger and dragged to the police station at least once a week, taken out of school. So, you know, I, I was terrified then that, that I was, it was all going to start again. And so I wouldn't leave the house and there was no psychology or psychiatry, really. They just pushed me out the door. That's all they had was to push people to do things. So I would walk down the street and I would hear my mother, look behind, look behind and and be careful, be careful. She was more afraid probably than me, you know. So so this was her anxiety and the way it played out in my life and it just continued right up until fairly recently and I've just had um, a lot of therapy and um, three good therapists who also became voices in my head to help me remove her so she's gone now, but as well as my mother's voice and my brother's voice and family voices, I have uh, through the chronic abuse from my childhood in the Barossa Valley, I learned to dissociate. And also because I have an autistic diagnosis, a lot of people who have that masking that they do actually becomes, if it, if it becomes chronic, it, it also becomes a form of dissociation. So it is part of me, but that's just the way I... I have learned to um, to take on a challenge. So I have all these voices, which I'm trying now to sort of try and integrate. So I try very hard to be in my body, to feel, you know, your feet on the ground. Yeah, that's really important. Gave me life when you were 29 You swaddled me last 50 years going back over my and and like when I first went to Adelaide as sort of a 27 year old trying to find my memories I didn't remember anything really I knew the house that we'd lived in 
and I knew that left me with um, the local bank manager and I had two images from that three months when I was left with the local bank manager. So, there was, you know, I really had just pretty much a blank, blank slate. But now that I've spent 30 years going back and, and trying to recall... And the way you do that is actually feeling. You got to you got to feel the feel the memory, and and I get a I get like you might get a trigger. You know you might see someone quite often. I get see someone with sandy, ready, orangey hair, and they trigger me back. So that's always a trigger trigger. And then so when that trigger first happens, I try and feel what what am I feeling? What is it? You know what and and where where does that feeling take me? You know and so that's how I've managed to. Just by indulging those, you know, well, it can be very, very painful actually at times, but just by investing in that, you know, it's an investment in myself because I wanted to do this stuff. So, yeah. And so, yeah, I remember a lot of my back background now. They're good enough that I feel that this is my story. This is how I am, the person I am now. <laughs> so I had very poor um, attachment experiences, but attachment is something you learn the same as language and so through working with Joel and his network his family his network of liquid architecture going to some events and and meeting people and and connecting I've met, been rewriting all those brain maps all those attachment brain maps which were difficult and, and unrewarding and painful and that's that's what I mean by practicing like just just going out again and having another um, adventure with Joel making music and going to his studio and meeting another musician. But the constant there is is the relationships and the connections that are being forged and, and rewriting those unrewarding and, and unhelpful um, earlier experiences. And, and you can't change those earlier experiences by thinking or logic. It doesn't, doesn't impact you can think, oh, I wish, oh, I know that I, I really want to love somebody. I want to have sex or, you know, I want to, I want to have a cuddle someone 10 times a day. But you can't actually do that until you've learned, you've practised having a good relationship. Lock up your feelings like bluebeards lovers and they turn to bones which stab and prick you, stab and prick you when you least expect your kids are fighting. I'll bang your heads together. You yell as the bones stab you in your ear. You feel around for blood. The blood you felt when a kid. Joel, he curated the gallery space. So I really didn't have to think much about it at all. Um, whereas if we'd done it in September, I was doing what I wanted, you know. And I have all these mannequins that I had as part of my master's project and they were taking me back and helping me to investigate my mother's ancestors right back to the first guy who came here in 18, 1859. I was trying to look into my mother's life, like, did she have some trauma? Why did she mother me the way she did, you know, in such a difficult and challenging way? You know, so. I really enjoyed being in the gallery space and I had put little things, we had logs to put the speakers on that I'd picked up from the park here. And then a log, and it had a little little man, little figurine on it that I'd got from the op shop sitting on this log. And then there was a lizard on that one, and a monkey on that one. <laughs> you know, there was little things around. 
And then I had a big painting, which is actually called um, It's Raining on My Rock, and we just put it on the floor because when I painted it, I painted right up to the edges, and it's 2.5 by 1.5, and I painted all the way. So I can't frame it because if I frame it, I'm going to lose, lose my um, painting. So it's just sitting on the floor. We practised singing all day with a guy called Sam Pankhurst who plays double bass. And we recorded just those four songs we'd chosen for the video. And a friend of mine, Steph Treacy, she played the ukulele and she sang vocals as well. The recordings are fabulous. And then Sam also played the harmonium, which Joel's got in his studio, and they overdubbed that. So, And then the next day was the performance at the gallery, the 9th, and Sam had COVID and he couldn't come to play the double bass. So, so it was me and Steph, but it was fabulous. Like I really haven't sung in public before that, you know. It was a whole new thing, and but I really enjoyed it. Uh, and the last song everyone sang along, it was really beautiful. Yes, the song about saving the earth and, you know, the because uh, we gave out um, copies of the lyrics and, yeah, it was really, really, really nice. We just keep exploiting our earth. Let's get smart and adapt. We've been doing that for millennia. It's one small step for you. It's one giant leap for us all. But farmers could capture methane in inflatable devices. Use it to power all forms of transport. That's one small step for you and one giant leap for us all. So in the last couple of weeks, I kept going back. So I was there nearly every day. And, yeah, it was very comfortable. It was very comfortable being there and watching my... Like, you know, when they first took all these photos of me and videos of me, it was just... It was part of my therapy to see myself, you know, because... Someone with dissociative identities looks in the mirror and they forget then. They go away from the mirror and you don't remember what you look like. You don't actually have an image of yourself. And so I got all these photos and videos and there, there I was looking at myself singing and, and the singing's not bad, you know, I think it's all right. And, um, yeah, so, and at the same time I was going through all this Stuff for my family, my brother go, oh, you can't sing, you're no good, you've got to stop this PhD nonsense and, you know, these voices from the, you know, the negative stuff. Seeing Rudy's photographs and, and Carmen's videos was very affirming, very, very affirming. And by the time I started dropping into the gallery regularly, it was like going home in a sense. It was going like, you know, going to watch myself and hear myself sing. It was just just such a buzz. Just, look, I can't really explain how, at, you know, when you're a little bit older and your life has been a real struggle and, and finally you get this amazing experience that's just so affirming. It was just such a comfortable space, you know, and, and such a rewarding and nurturing experience.
asking why I've always been curious about things so um, I think that's probably been one of my strengths actually a psychologist said that to me about five years ago she said oh you're still curious and um, it made me think a lot of people lose their curiosity because they just get overwhelmed with the routine it drives them and they forget to, to, to be curious and to have fun so the next bit of work I've been asked by Andy Tetzlaff, who's the curatorial manager at RMIT, to be part of the Big Anxiety Festival that's coming up in, from September till December. And I'll be a feature artist in that exhibition. I'll be presenting two or three works. One is a game board that I made in 2017, and it's a game called Deja Vu All Over Again, which is a tautology, of course. It's a game about mental health. And there's various scenarios. But, you know, it's covering the, the, the Mental Health Tribunal. It'll cover COVID and it'll cover the NDIS. It's going to cover psychiatry, enforced treatments. You know, it covers a lot of topics. And, and I am just, just hope it's one of these tools that's going to address the general fear in society and hopefully help people to have some better conversation, you know, because conversation, if we know the language, Conversation is so much easier than if all you're talking about is madness, incarceration, forced treatments, psychotropic drugs. If that's all we're talking about, then it's very fearful. But if we're actually talking about NDIS and how helpful it can be and, you know, and, and yep, we're going for a swim today and, yep, a really good thing, I'm going walking with my friends, with the dogs or, you know, I think we can break down some of the stigma and give people good language to share stories. And then another thing, this group, which includes Grace McQuilton from OMIT, she's part of the committee for the Big Anxiety and it was her idea to get me to engage with the Cunningham Dax collection. It's a collection of art that was collected by this psychiatrist when he was practising overseas and in Australia in institutions like, you know, back in, I think the oldest piece of art is from 1936 and patients were asked to make paintings or drawings which they never owned. They were taken away from them and they were used diagnostically to, to give labels like depression or anyway I get to look at this collection and I'm going to try to write some songs in response to this conundrum where these patients were treated so poorly and given that their art was taken away from them used against them used to keep them locked up essentially so I'm hoping to write some songs to follow one or two or three of these patients get their story write a story like song for sue something like that. Uh, uh, they'll all be different, obviously. And I'm quite capable of coming at things from different angles and having different voices and, and presenting various voices, and e even in one song. So 
those songs would be performed as part of the big anxiety. Up couch surfing in regional Victoria. She lived through wartime food shortage. As a girl guide, she sent Morse code down the lines, reporting all the planes she spotted. So long, Mother Chance. This recording was produced by Mara Schreitfeger for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognise that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organisation for artists working with sound and listening. To support our podcast and publishing, head to patreon.com slash liquidarchitecture.